0: A year ago, protests raged in Florida and across the country. Demonstrators called for racial justice and police accountability after George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Corporations pledged to help black-owned businesses. Local governments promised to rethink policing. One year on, are those promises being kept? On today's show, we're talking with two prominent black voices in the Tampa Bay region, to discuss what's changed and what hasn't in the year since George Floyd's murder. First up, Donna Davis. She's co-founder of the Tampa chapter of Black Lives Matter. We spoke via Zoom. So starting off, Donna, what, what's what been the most tangible change that Black Lives Matter Tampa has been able to uh, to, to bring about in, in, in the past year since uh, George Floyd's murder and the, and the protests that followed?
1: Um, I think I could I could I probably need to speak to that as uh, something that's taken place over a longer period of time. The, The most tangible change that I've witnessed is the sense that we can have the conversation that we were not able to have before. Uh, people are able to talk about race. They're able to speak about their own biases uh, with a lot more clarity. People are able to talk about their experiences and uh, the experiences that they've had as a person of color with more conviction. Folks are listening more keenly um, and the stories are believable in a way that they weren't six or seven years ago before we began this journey.
0: Do you think that 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 change is permanent or is it something that as we get further and further away from George Floyd's murder, the protests, the verdict, etc., that it's going to go back to the way things were prior to that?
1: So I'm going to answer that as a two-part question. Um, I think for people who've been around a little longer, you know, us uh, elder statesmen and women, um, that this may be something that feels trendy to us. I think for younger people, who are being enculturated in this way, and uh, having this experience uh, very young in their schools, in their social groups, it's going to become a part of how they're shaped going forward. So, uh, I mean, it depends on where you fall on the the age and experience continuum.
0: Have you seen more younger people? I know there were lots of young people in the streets last summer. Have they continued to show up for Black Lives Matter events and and take part in, in, in your activism?
1: Um, I think I think a couple of things about that. I think that there are young people who, as a consequence of being uh, shaped by the current conversation, are going to continue to participate in these things. Um, I think for a larger segment of the population, um, it feels trendy uh, for them right now. We've seen some um, we've seen some of that atrophy in that area. Like the crowds aren't as big um, and the energy is different. Um, but That's how change takes place, right? Not all of the people who rush out into the streets when, you know, it's the headline and it's in every Facebook uh, post and every Twitter feed are going to stay in the space. But we've definitely changed the conversation.
0: How have you seen that conversation change? I know it's changed kind of nationally, globally, but are there specific changes, specific examples of that change here in the Tampa area that, that stand out to you?
1: Oh absolutely. So you know when when I first I from Jacksonville Florida right so like the 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 forest the pine forest of north Florida um, and we call it in political organizing the great GOP north if that gives you any idea of how they sit ideologically in the floor on the Florida spectrum and then I moved back from Brooklyn New York into Tampa and Tampa it was a very different place now than it was seven years ago. So you would go to maybe a Dream Defenders event. You would see a few dozen people. Um, I'll speak specifically. Charleston uh, massacre took place. There were about 50 people in in Gaslights Park having a vigil. You know, roll forward 2016. uh, People are locking down on highways in California. Um, You see five to 900 people show up for Centennial Park. Uh, the conversations that that type of organizing and that type of turnout sparked landed in places like Women's March. Uh, it landed in the uh, Ione Townsend was able to get the Democratic Hillsborough County Democrats to endorse BLM in 2015. 20- 16, 2015, that happened. And so now when we talk about relating to Black candidates, fundraising for Black candidates, uh, when we talk about issues related to people who live on the margins, it's much easier to have those conversations with people in positions of power and authority than it was seven years ago, because they've accepted now that this is an issue in a way that they did not uh, seven years ago, and these are smart people. Like they want to be uh, on the leading edge of solving issues that exist, that as people state them. But it just wasn't something that made it into the mainstream and into the public discourse uh, until very recently.
0: I know around the country, we've seen Black Lives Matter activists actually run for office and win. I'm thinking particularly of uh, Cory Bush in uh, in St. Louis, uh, who's now the member of Congress for St. Louis. Have you seen that locally? Have, have uh, activists that you're connected with shown any interest of running for office uh, uh, in our area?
1: Well, that's the other part of that answer that you didn't hear um, to your question that you asked before. Even though we're having a conversation, it has not yet translated locally into the type of actions that would get a Cory Bush elected in Tampa. So we're having the conversation People are amenable to having the conversation. And the next phase will be how they respond and how they act uh, in regard to someone like Sky White uh, running for county commission. You know, is she able to get uh, the support that she needs over another candidate? Um, that not, it's not her preparedness for office or lack of preparedness for office that makes her not a viable candidate. It's the willingness of people who haven't had to support a Black woman in a seat like that uh, that's going to make the difference in seeing someone like Sky White actually hold that seat, someone who may not uh, see the world through the same lens as, say, Les Miller.
0: Speaking of conversations and elected officials, how do you think the dialogue has changed between Black Lives Matter and local elected officials here?
1: I don't think we're in the type of conversation that we need to be or that we're going to be with elected officials. Our relationship with Jane Castor is one of make nice on the surface, but we're really not getting down to brass tacks with either she or uh, Chief Dugan. These are conversations that I would like to have. Um, As you know, there is a uh, task force that the mayor put together to address these issues seeing that task force translate into something that is going to be impactful, I think is a longer road than I would like it to be, but I do believe it's possible. Um, But I don't know if we're taken as seriously. And when I say we, I mean anyone that works on these issues, whether it's uh, Connie uh, Burton or Candy Lowe or Jarvis, like any of the people who are working on these issues, I don't know if we're taken as seriously as we will be maybe by the next mayor and the next police chief.
0: Are there other cities where that dialogue is taking place and you think that it's it maybe could be a model for what we could see in Tampa and Hillsborough County?
1: I mean, I could name cities for you. I would, off the top of my head, I would say Minneapolis. I would say uh, in parts of uh, in Seattle, Washington, Uh, maybe up in Eugene, Oregon. I know that uh, they haven't been so fortunate in places like LA, which has one of the most lethal law enforcement agencies in the country, and out West in general, and in some of the Northern cities. Uh, We're still in the South, and that that has ramifications, right? It, It has for a long time, and it's gonna be very different from other parts of the country, Uh, that have uh, less financial interest in suppressing progressive movements, right? I mean, I don't think that's something that we we can pretend is not a thing. Uh, But if you go to those cities, uh, based on what they perceive as progress, because of the way they're oriented, they would say that they haven't been successful. But I would look at cahoots in Oregon, and I would say, if you're getting social workers that don't have to work for the police department like they do in st pete that can go out and defuse situations and de-escalate situations without loss of life for any sort of violence um that that's a far cry from where we are when people in tampa still think defund the police means to close the police department and not have any type of uh support for people who may be experiencing some type of crisis uh, in their homes or or workplace. I mean, I don't think that's what it means. It's not what it means, let me be clear. Uh, But to say, if Chief Dugan tells me, hey, Donna, 90% of the calls that we're getting are not for requests for intervention in a violent incident. And so we say, well, hey, Chief, why don't we divert some of those monies to people who are qualified to intervene without harming our citizens. That's what defund the police means in this current context. Uh, And so we haven't been able to get folks to respond to that good sense policy uh, here in Tampa. And I think that we understand that why the landscape would not permit that, but we're hopeful for a future that we cannot um, see, but we can imagine.
0: You mentioned Chief Dugan. Um, A lot of folks live in unincorporated Hillsborough County. What have your discussions been like with Sheriff Chad Cronister?
1: You know, he kind of lays low and stays out of this. Um, We just haven't had the same type of issues uh, in the county. Uh, that we've had in the city. Of course, you know about Andrew Joseph and what happened there. There's still some questions that need to be answered, but uh, that is uh, something that's an ongoing process. And as I understand it, Chronister has made inroads with those some of those families who've experienced uh, uh, certain types of injustices. And so, but in the city is where the concentration of problems are. I would probably need to go and see if we could have a conversation uh, with the sheriff, but from what I understand, uh, he's much more amenable and a much better listener. He's more equipped uh, to hear, uh, and hopefully that would follow by his ability to make change from what he's listening to. But he has not been our main issue.
0: What frustrates you still? Where have you not been able to make change or or make inroads that, that, that you'd like to?
1: I think that um, the, in the South, um, our you know good white people, you know, I'll be frank here, um, don't really as much as we've had been able to open this conversation um, over the last six or seven years, um, and so and it and it follows that when we talk about oh how is that translated into getting black candidates, black lives matter candidates on the ballot? Well, it hasn't. Um, how is that translated to? Uh, a much more layered and nuanced understanding of racial inequities and in the, in the problems that produces. Uh, it hasn't. Our good white folks still think that interracial marriage can cure uh, racism. Uh, they still think that if they aren't racist, uh, there's far less likelihood for their neighbors to be racist. And they also tend to believe that racism is Proud Boys and Ku Klux Klan, uh, as opposed to the implicit biases that cause us maybe not to call someone back for a job opportunity um, and other outcomes that prohibit access for people who live on the margins, keeping these uh, the social strata in place. So what we would like to do is we would like to uh, start reading groups uh, reading books like 13th and you know angela davis's you know book on abolition so that people who are in a position to impact outcomes actually have a much more layered and complex understanding of how the biases hold these uh inequitable systems in place
0: what are your what's what's black Matters, lives matter tampa's priorities for the next say couple of months as we get as we get towards the the latter half of 2021 and then get into 2022, which, going back to candidates, that'll be an election year in Florida.
1: So, I mean, I think that right now we're going to watch some some terrible gender, gerrymandering take place. That's coming straight at us, right? Um, and so in an attempt not to be reactionary, which I think if people level that accusation, They wouldn't be far off base. We wouldn't. We would not say, oh, no, we haven't been reactionary. We've been caught in a in a loop of responding to issues as they emerge. Right. But we also do philanthropy that people don't hear about. You know, we gave away 700 filled backpacks to spec with what the the school districts were asking kids in certain grades to have. It was very labor intensive. Um, We raised a lot of money and we helped a lot of families. Uh, We also gave away bicycles, you know, at Christmas time when the supply chain uh, was interrupted and there weren't there weren't any bicycles because of manufacturing. And now uh, our immediate our immediate task is we've decided to create a network of young leaders and train them uh, from around the state uh, in a summer camp that will take place. Late June to late July, we haven't nailed down the date yet. Uh, We do have a campground. We're gonna bring those kids together and we're gonna go out on Sunday. We're gonna come back into town on Friday. We're gonna transport those kids from their homes wherever they are around the state. Um, We're looking for black children. That's gonna be our first iteration, black children. Um, They're going to learn about uh, civic engagement Uh, They're going to learn about basic leadership skills. Uh, We're looking for kids that have a spark and a passion, not necessarily those same kids that, you know, are on the honor roll and have parental support and the teachers like them, but kids who are special, but because of their life circumstances are not being supported to be the leaders that we know that we can grow them into. Um, And we're gonna do 50 kids. We're gonna give them all laptops so that we can keep the team together when they go back home. Um, And we're going to grow these kids, provide wraparound services for them in their cities and counties. uh, And they start at age 14 and we cap at age 19. So we're reaching back into the emerging electorate and looking for a way to cultivate leadership that we can't see coming from those gifted quadrants at this moment and provide the support and access and mentorship that those kids need to be strong, authentic leaders in their communities. That's our current project. It's called Youth Corps.
0: Mm -hmm. And as you said, that's going to be, that's a statewide effort among different Black Lives Matter Chapters around.
1: Well, we, we're we going to bring other groups around uh, the state into this. Um, you know, we're looking at I don't want to name our partners until we ink them. Right. Um, but there are uh, larger partners that have a national footprint are uh, who are going to help to fund this and support the ongoing um, outreach and support material support that's going to be required.
0: Uh, no, when I asked you at the beginning of this interview, you said you feel um, I can't remember the exact quote, but you, you feel maybe somewhat optimistic. About how the conversation around Black Lives has changed in this country mm-hmm. overall. How just how are you feeling right now at this moment? I mean, this was this has been <laughs> 2020 was an exhausting year for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but just how do you, in general, just feel about things right now? As hopefully as we get to the end of this pandemic and and get back to some something that looks like normal, even though it's probably not going to be the normal that we knew in 2019
1: you know, Stokely Carmichael said that above, uh, above all the revolutionary is guided by, or it is very loose, uh, interpretation, uh, by great love. Right. And I don't know if we can have love, especially great love without hope. Uh, and I believe that we're not where we were, you know, 150 years ago, and that 150 years from now, we won't be where we are currently. Um, and, We're planting seeds for trees we may never sit under, but if I can't hope for a better future than our current reality, then this is probably not a place that I need to be doing work. So I remain hopeful because it's a requirement for the job. Right, It's part of the job description. And I would hope that anyone that would venture into these choppy deep waters (laughs) would would be prepared Um, for a lot of heartbreak because you see a lot of things that you know are within our ability to change literally overnight if we chose to. But I remain hopeful for the best of the human spirit uh, to emerge and address these issues and change the way we are.
0: Thank you very much. We appreciate you taking the time to to speak with us. Thank you. Donna Davis is co-founder of the Tampa chapter of Black Lives Matter. This is Florida Matters. Our conversation continues in just a moment. You're listening to Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Today we're talking about the promises of racial justice that were made after George Floyd's murder. Lori L. Holloway is founder and co-owner of Cultured Books. Her St. Petersburg store focuses on selling children's books with a multicultural perspective. Tell me a little bit about the story of of Cultured Books and, and why you wanted to open a bookstore.
2: Yes. So Culture Books is a multicultural children's bookstore. It was started because I did not see enough positive representation for Black people, people of color, and people of different um, faiths. So I really wanted to um, show and display uplifting positive narratives, not only about myself and my culture, but about others. It was created during a time of the Zimmerman v. Florida case um, involving the murder of Trayvon Martin. And I just felt compelled to do something, not just in my community, but do something where people see Black people as humans. Like, we're not dehumanized. um, We are seen at the same level of white people, too. So it's something that I felt that was needed because... You know, adults, they're already, you know, they already have their own thoughts, they're, whether it's the, their upbringing who has helped them hone in their um, the thoughts of how they see the world. But children, they're all learning. So I really wanted to show children show them, themselves, whether it be Black or a person of color, that they're beautiful, they're bright, they have amazing history, and it's not just rooted in struggle. But I also want to show white children that um, the same narratives, that Black people aren't people to be feared, um, that people of different faiths aren't weird, just so that children growing up, they can have a better worldview.
0: How important do you think it's been in the past year to, to show those positive representations. I mean, with with George Floyd's murder, with the protests that happened after that, but also the pandemic and the fact that, you know, children aren't around each other anymore. A lot of them have been spending time at home, uh, you know, doing virtual learning and things like that.
2: Yes. Yeah, so it is, it's always been important, but it's funny that you bring it up that children aren't Um, with each other, like in school, like in a school setting where you see, you know, a little bit of everyone. So I wasn't even thinking of that point, because like in our community, say if I am a Black parent, I may have, you know, Black friends, I may have friends, parents, and, and families of different backgrounds. But if you are a family who may not have, you know, in your network or in your um, community circle, family circle, people of different backgrounds, it's really important not to just receive one narrative of a culture or a group of people. And sometimes those narratives that we see on um, mass media, whether we read in books that are in the school system or videos that are displayed on TV, Sometimes those can be stereotypical, and it's not beneficial for people learning about or knowing about different cultures. So I believe that even in isolation, through like the pandemic and quarantine, it's really important to step outside of books that only talk about struggle when it comes to Black people or people of color.
0: So you you said you, you open cultured books after Trayvon Martin's murder. The past year, the world's been sort of dealing with the with the impact of George Floyd's murder. How has this past year and the protests, everything that's come out of what happened to George Floyd, affected what you do? Affected how you think about what you do?
2: When there were just people in general asking for books that they should read um, that are anti racist. One thing that really stuck out was that they were just centered in black narratives or narratives about black people that just were about enslavement or civil rights. And even during that time of the world wanting to be anti-racist, that was almost like that's not necessarily what how I see anti-racist, um, what it means or the definition is accepting all races, all backgrounds, all people, and then understanding that, you know, if you are in a position of power, because we all have power, understanding who may be excluded, who is included, and how to make, you know, your circles equitable. So one thing that stuck out to me is that there was such a large push for Black books, but sometimes those weren't even by Black authors um, told positive Black stories. It's just been a little weird to um, to see that. But because we are a multicultural children's bookstore, we have positive representation of really all people, marginalized people, Black people, people of color. Because if we can see everybody more in a positive light, we can see them as human, as people, you know, like ourselves.
0: You know, there was this push after George Floyd's murder, you know, to lift up Black voices and to, to celebrate Black people and Black Black narratives. But do you think that that's going to recede and we're going to be back to where we were prior to that?
2: I'm cautiously optimistic. I do feel that we may um, go back to where we were just because I feel that sometimes as a community, we feel that, okay, we're on top of something, we're going to make it better. And then a case is complete, and then nothing else happens. But one thing that I am glad to just see in my own neighborhood, as far as Pinellas County Schools goes, they are really working on the curriculum. So working on what books are being used to teach, teach our children, and they're receiving positive input from people that have a background or expertise in different cultures. So it is refreshing to see that policies are, you know, changing. Anybody can say anything. Any organization can say they stand in solidarity, but it's really where, how they're set up, how the policies are affecting Black people. I would just like to see more of it and less conversations and more just action
0: what What's on your mind now, as we you know hopefully head out of uh, head out of the pandemic and and things kind of get back to normal? what's what's next for you and uh, cultured books?
2: So I would like things not to go um, back to normal as far as, you know, book buying and um, supporting bookstores, supporting black bookstores, supporting Asian bookstores, supporting, bilingual Hispanic bookstores. I think that it is awesome that bookstores that are run by different cultural backgrounds, I feel that it's amazing that um, we're able to get the spotlight. So it's nice that when people are, are searching for say black books that publishing authors they're saying go support a black bookstore. I think it's awesome when people are looking and searching for books of Asian descent that they're saying go support an Asian bookstore because these bookstores they you know supporting them helps their community, helps our community, helps us share our story. So I'm really I'm excited for that.
0: Thank you for making time for us. Uh, We we really appreciate it. Thank you. L'Oreal Holloway is founder and owner of Cultured Books in St. Petersburg. And that's Florida Matters for this week. Donora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next week.